would turn in your Bibles to Genesis 32. This is a somewhat different service than we normally do at Redeemer, um, in which I'm going to end a little early and then we're going to take time to pray for the nations and then we're going to have a fellowship meal together. And, uh, but I want to make sure we leave enough time to where we can pray. For those of you who are new, we've been working through Genesis. I don't know what week this is, 20-something. Um, and we've been going through the life of Jacob. And now we get to this familiar text, um, this puzzling text of Jacob wrestling with the Lord. Genesis 32. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So we call the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps. Thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love, and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present to my lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third, and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. 
The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed, Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. Pray with me. Lord, we ask that you would honor the reading of your word. Just as we heard those words, that even now they would begin working into our hearts. Transforming our minds. Lord, I pray that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Martin Luther called this one of the most obscure stories in all of the Bible. Um, it is bizarre. Uh, whenever I sit down to study a text, um, some of you know this, uh, the first thing I do is I just write down questions. I just read the text and I just write down questions. I had so many questions as I'm studying through this text. You know, why does, why does God attack Jacob? Why does God not prevail against Jacob? Um, why does he strike him on the hip socket? Is there something special about the hip? Why is he so concerned about the sun rising? What is the meaning of the name Israel? Why doesn't God tell Jacob his own name? How can Jacob say he saw God face to face when really he didn't see God face to face? Um, what does this story teach us about Jesus? I mean, these are just some of the questions. And I mean, I just kept going on and on. And, and um, there's actually more written and commentaries about this one patriarchal narrative than any of the others. Um, we'll see if we can answer a few of these questions. I believe this passage tells us the defining moment in Jacob's life. It is the defining moment. It's when he has his name changed. One of the, the ways the, the narrator tries to bring this out is the word Jabbok and Jacob are almost identical in Hebrew. And here, Jacob, Jacob's, he wrestles, he grabs a heel. Jacob, Jacob's at the Jabbok. Jabbok. And it's just like all these Hebrew words together that showing like this is it. This is, this is Jacob's defining moment. It's the pinnacle of his life here. 
He's never going to be the same after this. Jacob has spent the last 20 years of his life living with his uncle Laban, who he hasn't loved, but it's been pretty good for him. He's become very rich. Um, God blessed him immensely. Um, When he first came to see Laban, all he had with him was his staff. He didn't even have an extra coat. He didn't have a pillow. That's why he had to use a rock for a pillow on his way over there. But now he is leaving with all of this wealth. All of these servants, wives. God actually told Jacob that he needs to leave. He says, it's time for you to go back. Go back to the promised land. And we can see faith actually beginning to grow in Jacob. um, Because he obeys. I mean, he's got a pretty comfortable life here, but he actually decides, okay, Lord, I'm going to do that. I'm going to leave this comfortable life behind and I'm going to go back to the promised land where the only thing I know is I have a brother there who has sworn to kill me. But I'll do it because you asked me to do it. And so he goes and he sends messengers to Esau. And I don't know if you noticed, but he instructs his messengers, be sure to call Esau my Lord and be sure to call myself his servant. And so he is switching the things that he sought for so much. He is switching the actual blessing. Instead of Esau serving him, he is saying, no, no, Esau, I am your servant. He's even trying to give him back his birthright that he swindled him out of by giving him all of these possessions, all of these gifts. He's he's essentially saying the birthright, it's it's yours again. And and, and the blessing, it's, it's really yours. I'm your servant. And so he's reversing the things that he had so desperately sought for at this point. Well, when the messengers arrive, um, Jacob finds out his worst nightmare is true. They, they said, well, we, we ran into Esau. They don't mention a thing about what Esau said. They only said, Esau's coming, not with his family, not with his children. Esau is coming with 400 men, which means he's coming with an army. And here's the amazing thing that I find here is... Jacob doesn't flee. I mean, a few weeks ago, we looked at it when Esau, his brother, says, I'm going to kill him. Jacob's off. He's running. He's running away, scared for his life. Now Esau is coming with an army, and he doesn't run away. Faith is beginning to grow. It's taken time, but you see it gradually growing in Jacob. He's beginning to trust God. And then he prays to God. This is the first time we ever see Jacob pray. So it has taken 20-something years. It's taken many chapters in Genesis. But finally, for the first time, Jacob gets on his knees and he prays. And it's the longest prayer in all of Genesis. Look with me again at verse 9. It's a fantastic prayer too. He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and the faithfulness you have shown to your servant. Does that sound like Jacob up to this point? I'm not worthy of any of this. I'm your servant. You've given me all of this. In verse 11 he's saying, you know, please deliver me. Then he reminds God of his promise. He says, God, you you, you have promised this. Keep your word. And so in this prayer, you have 
humility. You have a recognition of God's hand upon his life. A recognition of God's sovereignty. It's a really good prayer. Not bad for the first time. And then what happens after he finally prays, what happens next has got to shock you. I mean, I've read this, this text so many times and it still shocks me. Because when Jacob finally shows signs of, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to pray to you, Lord. When he finally turns his life around and he does that, God attacks him in the night and he, he walks around maimed with a limp for the rest of his life after he does this. God physically assaults him and leaves him crippled. After he finally prays to him, finally trusts him. Does this sound like you know, the God of liberal Christianity or you know, some God of any other religion? Does this sound like the kind of God you would make up? You know, if, if you were, you know, I said, hey, I want you to create a religion right now. Are you going to, all right, this is the kind of religion I want. You know, the God that we pray to, the God that we decide to serve, that God's going to attack us when we do so. You know, you're going to have a religion of one. It will be yourself. This is certainly not the American God. The God who blesses you with material possessions. God gives you health and wealth and prosperity if you have your quiet time in the morning. If you trust that God, of course he's going to give you your spouse of your dreams. He's going to give you the job you want and the house you want, of course. I I grew up in a very traditional Baptist church. And I I cannot imagine, you know, having an altar call like on the the 10th verse of Just As I Am as it's as is going on for the pastor to say, you know, come forward. If you come forward, God will maim you. You know, God will attack. He will hurt you. Come on down. But that's what happens. Now, you could take from this, you know, you, 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 can, you can see one of his attributes here. You know, you have all these other attributes in the Bible in which you can call God just. You can call him loving. You can call him Faithful, you can call him powerful, and and you can call him all those things, but you can never call him safe because God isn't safe. He's not tame, and he's not going to act according to your expectations. Jacob can't say, whoa, 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 God, you're not acting how I want you to, to act here. And God would say, you're right, because I'm not a God of your imagination. I'm the one true God, and I will do whatever I please. Verse 22 through 24 says, The same night he arose, he took two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Jacob sends all of his family away from him. And he stays behind, all alone. He understands that his whole life is leading up to this one moment. He understands this. Tomorrow, God's either going to protect him or he's going to die. One of those two. God's either going to show himself strong and faithful or he's going to die. And so he wants to be alone. He wants to think. He wants to pray. And then God comes to him 
And I think it's interesting. Whenever God has appeared to Jacob, it's always when he's broken and when he's alone is when God appears to him. And when he's alone, a man wrestles with him. And I love that the writer keeps it ambiguous at first. We know it's the Lord later. But, but he wants us to realize, like, who is this? Because Jacob doesn't know at this point. Who is this person attacking me in the night? And notice, Jacob isn't the one who attacks this person. Jacob's on the defensive. Jacob's, you know, probably resting uh, alone in the dark at night. And this man just jumps him and begins attacking him. And so he's protecting himself. He's defending himself. He wrestles all night long and it's an even draw. Neither man could overtake the other. And then when the day is about to break, when this man realizes, I can't beat Jacob, it says that he touches his hip and dislocates his hip. Um, Notice he, he doesn't hit his hip. He's not saying like, you know, does this big blow, this new move he hadn't thought of in the previous 10 hours. It's, it's, he touches, and the word is for the, the faintest of touch. It's, it's the slightest of graze. He just brushes the side of his hip, and boom, power is released. And the hip, this huge joint, it just comes out of socket. He, at this moment, Jacob obviously understands this is not a mere man. This is not a mere man. I must be wrestling with an angel or with God himself. Now, why would the Lord attack Jacob? I mean, does the Lord want to kill him? Is that, is that the intent? Um, I don't think so. If the Lord wanted to kill Jacob, he could probably say, Jacob, you're dead. You know, Jacob dies. You know, it's, it's the end of it. What's, what's all this drama, you know, this coming down, wrestling with him all the time. He could kill him if he wanted to. He wants something more. I I think the first thing that he wants from Jacob is to absolutely wear Jacob out and to where Jacob has to wrestle all night, has absolutely no strength left before his biggest obstacle the next morning. I think he wants Jacob to realize that he cannot go back into the promised land on his own efforts and in his own strength. And so he's going to wipe him of that. And this is a lesson that Jacob needs to learn because Jacob's whole life, as we have seen over the weeks, his whole life, he is that self-reliant, self-sufficient person. If he wants a birthright, he'll swindle and he'll buy it. If he wants a blessing, he'll work for it and deceive people for it. If he wants a wife, he'll pay an exorbitant price for it. And so anything that Jacob has, he has fought for it. He has has counted on his wits. He has counted on his money. And God says, not this time. You have wanted blessing your whole life. And you've always fought for that kind of blessing. But if you want to be blessed, I mean, if you really want to be blessed, you've got to lay down all your self-sufficiency. And that's true for us. We have to quit being Jacob, the Jacob of old. We have to be wore out. We have to have all of our strength gone. We can only enter the promised land when every bit of self-reliance is gone. We, We see here in this text that when necessary, 
God will give his children painful blows to discipline them. Painful blows. uh, Much like a parent has to spank their children, or a better analogy I think would be maybe a, a doctor or a surgeon has to do a very precise surgery, painful surgery, to remove the cancer. Very precise, very pointed, very painful, but it's the only way that we'll have life. And God does this, and we're going to see this so much greater in the life of Joseph, where God knows just the right amount of pain to bring in, to discipline us, but not to break us. I think this blow also reveals to Jacob that although Jacob has been fighting against men his whole life, I think he is realizing now in this this pinnacle of his life that really he hasn't been fighting with men. He's been fighting with God his whole life. I mean, in the past, he he thought he has been wrestling with his dad. He's been wrestling with Esau. He's been wrestling with Laban. But ultimately, now I think he realizes, no, the person I've been wrestling with my whole life is the Lord. I've been fighting against him all my life, never trusting in him, never yielding to him, always fighting him. And he's always blamed others. He's always thought other people were responsible for his condition. I had a dad who didn't love me. I have a a brother who wants to kill me. I've got an Uncle Laban who tries to deceive me. Nobody is for me. Everybody's out against me. And he's bitter and he's angry and he wants to fight everyone. And God's saying, all right, you might think you're bitter against all these people. You're angry against all these people. But really, it's against me. You've resisted my parenting, my love, and my affection your whole life. You've got to yield to me. You've got to quit fighting. Some of you might be so angry at certain people in your life. You might have such bitterness towards people in your life. You know, maybe, maybe your life hasn't turned out quite the way you've wanted, and so you, you blame your parents, you blame that, you know, that one teacher who failed you, and you could trace your entire collegiate career just went down because of that one teacher. You could blame that one brother You can always blame somebody, the boss who overlooked you for that promotion when you really deserved it, and you have all this bitterness and you just want to lash out. Take a step back and realize, you know what? Am I just resisting the Lord's sovereign hand? Am I really fighting against him? Is that that who I'm angry at? Some of you don't even know who you're angry at. You're You're just angry and you're just bitter. It's like wrestling this unknown man. You don't even know why you are. You're just wrestling. But it's God you've been wrestling with your whole life. Jacob quits fighting here. Um, You might think, well, actually, he doesn't really quit fighting. He's not letting go. And that's true. He doesn't let go, but he's no longer fighting. Now he's just clinging. Now he's just holding on. Before Jacob was assaulted, he's trying to fend the man off. You know, now when the man wants to leave, he's like, "Uh uh-uh. You're not leaving. I'm not going to let you go. It's only when Jacob is weak and he has all this pain that he finally decides he needs to cling to God and God alone. Verse 26 is a really interesting verse. A lot of questions on verse 26. 
Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, what does the sun about to rise have to do with um, Jacob needing to let this person go? Um, Why does God ask him to let him go at this point? You know, up to this point, you're fighting in the dark. They can't see one another. So obviously, this person does not want to be seen. Um, It's actually a tremendous act of grace if, as we find out later, that he has been wrestling with the Lord. And we know from Exodus 33 that nobody can see the face of the Lord and live. And he's saying, listen, you've got to let go. You've got to let go. If you see my face, it'll be the end. Let me go before the sun goes up. And Jacob responds by saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not letting you go. I'm either going going to see your face and die, or I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. So there's only two scenarios that are going to happen here. Either I'm going to see your face, or I'm going to be blessed. But that's the only two options, and he clings. He clings for dear life. Verse 27, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, I mean, God knows the name of every single star. You know, I don't know how many there are. There's a lot. So he's not seeking information here. He's not. If if you want to make sense of this, you got to go back a few weeks. Go back to Genesis 27. Verses 18, another story about seeking blessing. Chapter 27, verse 18, so he went into his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. He said, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Hmm. Last time Jacob sought the blessing and he was asked for his name, he lied. He said, no, 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 I'm Esau. I'm I'm the firstborn. I'm the one who deserves the blessing. He lied, but, but here God says, all right, what's your name? And what he's asking for is, what's your identity? Who are you? Are you going to pretend to be somebody else this time? And Jacob, for the first time, he admits it. He goes, I am Jacob, I'm the deceiver. I'm the one who cheats. I'm the one who grabs by the heels. That's me. And when God looks at his, here's the name, which is really a confession, God blesses. God blesses. I don't know if you've ever done this before in your life. I have found for me, I bring far more excuses than sins before the Lord when I pray. And I do the same with my wife. You know, why are you so grumpy, Joel? Well, excuses, because I'm tired, because, you know, I was up five times with the kids last night. How many times were you up with the kids? You know, I I can give excuses instead of just giving sins because I'm a horrible person, because there's evil in my heart. And what God here is saying is confess who you are. You don't have to be scared. Confess who you are if you want to receive my blessing. God will not reject you. In verse 28, 
we see God renaming Jacob Israel, which means either God strives or Jacob strives with God. We don't know if God's the one doing the striving or if Jacob is the one doing the striving. It's just everybody's divided over this. So we're not really sure what the name means, but we do know that it's to remind him of this moment for all of his life. That's what it is. It's to remind him of the striving. It's for every time he hears the name Israel, he is reminded of this moment in which he wrestled with God. After this, in verse 28, um, go back to 28, it says, Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, lots of questions there. Exactly how did Jacob prevail? How did Jacob win this? I mean, for one, he's walking around with a limp for the rest of his life. But how can you say that Jacob won? How can anybody fight with God and win? Um, I, I heard an illustration um, by a pastor one time that I, I, I think communicates this really well. And I'll tell it from a personal point because I do this every night. I play with my kids. Um, I play with my kids every night right before they go to bed. I try to wear them out. You know, I'll pick them up, throw them on the beds, you know, throw them against furniture, try not to hurt them too bad. And, you know, and I'm, I'm usually on my back and, you know, I let them get me and, and so they're always really excited, like, we got daddy, we got him pinned down, and, and you're playing with them, and the only reason, you know, that they're not hurt is because I'm not using my full strength, otherwise I could pick them up and I could throw them through a wall if I wanted to, but instead, I, in, in playing with my children because I love them, I, I make myself weak before them. This is what I do because I want to interact with them. And so I, I lay down, I make myself weak, sometimes too weak, and they might jump off the couch and just land on your rib. And children have hurt me far more than anybody else. But you make yourself weak because the reality is if I were to throw my full weight against them, I would hurt them. That's what we see going on here. That's how Jacob is allowed to prevail. It's because God is not throwing his full weight against him. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for Weight is glory. Glory and weight are the same thing. Glory means heavy. And what it's saying is God is not using his weight. God is not using his glory against Jacob. Because if he were to show Jacob all of his glory, it would never say, and Jacob prevailed. But we see God making himself weak. In order that he might bless Jacob. And that answers the question of how do you see Jesus here? How does this communicate? How does this show us Jesus? How does this point to him? And I think you see this in Philippians 2 when you, when you read this. Jesus was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God as a thing to hold on to, but made himself nothing. Made himself weak. He had, he had glory but he, he decided not to hold on to it. He had the weight, but he didn't hold on to it. Instead, he made himself nothing. He made himself light and weak, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, that we might be blessed. And so we see that the Son of God came, and he shed his weightiness, and he came and he lived in our midst. And he wrestled not with us, but he wrestled with his father. And he lost. 
in which the full wrath and the full weight of his father was unleashed against him. Jesus received blow after blow from the full weight of God. And he lost and he died in order that we might receive that blessing. How can we be sinners and yet reconciled to God? It's because Jesus left behind his glory and he became one of us and he received our blows so that we might be blessed. I don't know if you, this puzzled you, but we, we opened the service with Psalm 24. You want to turn to Psalm 24? We, we opened the service with this. We're going to sing a song about this. This is it's an ascension song. But it's also a song, you know, it's, all, it's, it's centered on Genesis 32. Look at verse, we'll read 3 through 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. So this is about seeking the face of God of Jacob. It's about this story in Genesis 32 here. But look how it describes the people who get to see God. Who has clean hands. Does Jacob have clean hands? No. Does he have a pure heart? Have you seen how horrible he is up to this point? Does he lift up his soul to what is false? And does not swear deceitfully? Jacob's name means deception. All he's done is deceive people. So he doesn't have clean heart clean hands. He doesn't have a pure heart. He is sworn deceitfully over and over. And yet it says, such is the generations of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. This, this whole psalm is a puzzle, actually. Why would he throw in Jacob there? Maybe throw in Abraham. Throw, throw in somebody else. But the God of Jacob? But it's all alluding to this story here. And which is the story when Jacob finally confesses who he is. And he finally trusts, not in his own righteousness, but in God's. He doesn't trust in his own resourcefulness, his own faithfulness. He trusts in God's faithfulness and in God's strength. And therefore, he is now pure. He is now clean. He is now righteous. And he can seek the face of God and be Blessed. What a psalm. What a God. Pray with me. Lord, Psalm 24 says, We will receive blessing, blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of our salvation. We receive righteousness. We don't produce it. We don't merit it. Your righteousness is given to us through Jesus. We thank you that because of you, Jesus, the true firstborn who gave up your blessing of the firstborn and took the curse instead, 
We thank you that you did that in order that we might receive the richest of all blessings. We might receive God himself. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.